Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this interview is Successful Women Who Attract Toxic Relationships. We'll be talking about codependency, love addiction, and toxic relationships. My guest is Sherry Gaba, LCSW. She is a licensed psychotherapist and life coach who helps people cope with codependency, love addiction, toxic relationships, and mental health issues. Sherry is a single mother, and once her daughter was old enough, Sherry returned to school to receive her Master's of Social Work from the University of Southern California. As a leading expert on addiction and recovery, and let me say something real quick, Sherry. I happen to be a recovering addict. Uh, I've been clean and sober a very long time. And I've, I often tell people that, okay, I'm a practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming. I'm a personal development coach, life coach. I'm into all these philosophies and psychologies and personal developments. The most profound thing I ever did was to get clean and sober. That's how. Congratulations, Tony. That's awesome. That's great. That's fantastic. So you are, I, you're in the right field. I love, I, I love people who, who work with that because, you know, a lot of people, you know, Addicts themselves can think themselves so wretched, and they, that's very typical, um, and others, and, and you know, non-addicts, uh, but we're not. We're just people like everyone else, and, and if we have people who help us, such as yourself, you know, it can make all the difference in, the lives, in their lives, and, and look at me. I, w- I was a person who used to want to blow up the world, and I mean that literally. Now I love the world, and I do my best to help people in my own way, so, I, you know, I really turned my life around by becoming a recovering addict a, a sober person and it's, it's i love i love life now very full of recovery once again so thank you so sherry's tv appearances include vh1 celebrity rehab which i love by the way i don't like i don't like the celebrity mentality of america but i love that show that was a fantastic show very good. She's been on CNN, Inside Edition, The Robert Irvine Show, and Access Live, E! News, among others. She's been featured in Cosmopolitan, Women's World, The LA Times, Thrive Global, The New York Post, Marriage.com, and Psychology Today, Zeusk, and other leading publications. She has also been a guest on many serious XM radio shows and now hosts her own podcast, The Love Fix. I like that title. Sherry is the author of Love Smacked, in which Sherry addresses relationship addiction and codependency, and is a contributing writer to the book Chicken Soup for the Soul, Tough Times, Tough People. That is excellent, because that is a well-known book, and that's a a subsequent, like a sequel, is that it? it? Yeah, it was the first time I was published. It was pretty exciting. I had a little chapter in there just about my journey, and uh, that's kind of how I began this becoming an author and a media expert and then you know of course i'm a therapist and coach fantastic yes you she, she maintains a private practice and she's the founder of wake up recovery an online group coaching program that applies the principles of positive psychology law of attraction and mindfulness for codependents love addicts and toxic relationships i love those things all those those topics those areas are, are invaluable so I love what you're about, Sherry. Great stuff. <laughs> thank you for having me. And thank you for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. So we'll, well, first we're going to talk about, as I said, the title of the show uh, of this interview is about success, about successful women. And then if we have time, we'll talk more about the, about love addiction and the, and the broader topics, if that's okay. okay with you. Okay, great. So let me ask my first question. What does trauma have to do with toxic relationships? So when you don't receive what you need as a child, and we kind of know this from attachment, you know, and bonding and nurturing, our emotional growth gets stunted. And so if we were neglected, let's say, or abused or had parents who were addicts themselves or alcoholics were, or were emotionally or physically unavailable, 
or even if we became little adults because they were so neglectful, um, we're going to have really a difficult adult relationships. Um, those that have are victims of trauma have a very false reality of themselves. They don't even know who their real self is because how can they? Because nobody was there to bond with them or attach to them or nurture them. Uh, my story was um, early trauma. I was, and I can go into that later if you'd like, or now, but I was in a uh, incubator. And in my day, they didn't allow mom moms to hold their little, little infants, their little preemies, because they were afraid that the mom would pass on germs. So I was in an incubator for almost three months. So that really affected my own attachment issues. But you don't trust your emotions because you can't really access what you truly, what your true feelings are. And then and the reason being is you, you know, you felt invisible because your parents were neglectful or, you know, abusive, or in my case, I didn't even have that early bonding. So you learn at a really early age that your feelings don't count because, you know, you weren't validated and then you become very other focused. So you learn to focus, focus on everything else around you rather than on your own needs, which is really at the foundation of figuring out who you really are. And so if you don't have a, an intimate relationship with yourself, and this goes for all addictions, really, is you're you're kind of outside looking for a connection wherever you can find it because you can't really connect with yourself. And that's why it's so important if you have this kind of trauma to get a really great trauma psychotherapist, not just a talk therapist, because you really, really need to have that relationship with yourself. I mean, early trauma, it carries such profound sense of shame and shame is rooted in all those limiting beliefs and that childhood programming from that you know, dysfunctional family. You know, yes. uh, I, uh, my trauma, which was benign comparatively, comparatively to, you know, more obvious traumas was simply my father's departure from home. I, I, that's, I, I could source that as the genesis of my addiction and it's, and my, I don't blame my father. And, and when I did, I, I, I've since forgiven him. He did the best he could with the resources he had at the time. But for me, as I, I'll, know, I'll tell you, I'll really tell you, I'll tell you real quickly what, how it happened. My, we, I went to Catholic school with my brother and sister. I was the middle child. When we came home that day it was a half day on a Wednesday. My whole family was convened and they're all staring at us. Father took us into the living room, told us he was leaving home. My brother and sister were on either side of me crying. I was stoic on the outside, but inside it was a total collapse, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, you feel like you, you're not worth it. And indeed, that's the intrinsic addiction obstacle is that a sense of inadequacy. And, but that's what it came down to. And I try, and I tell people all the time now that if, if you're going to split up, you know, you got to tend to the child. The child needs special attention if you're going to split the split the marriage up because you know you know not in any sort of it's not a, a punitive to the parents not at all but you've got to tend to that child those those formative years are so so you know important you've you, you've got to make sure that their needs and their issues are are dealt with. Oh yeah, I mean that's definitely a huge trauma. Divorce, um, and, and, and that you know that's to me that isn't a small trauma. That's a pretty big trauma. Um, you know we have small, we have tiny traumas, we have bigger traumas. But to me that would be in the bigger traumas because you know again your self worth kind of got squashed. You had you were abandoned literally abandoned by your dad for whatever reason. And again, it's not about blaming or shaming your dad or, or these people that supposedly did the best they could. It really, it still is an and where, okay, he did the best he could and I was abandoned. And so that was probably your first rupture in connection. And then of course, drugs and alcohol can fuel that need for connection. And that's probably what happened. Um, but there's all there's covert, overt, passive aggressive, invisible, and apparent or innocuous. Um, you know, if your feelings aren't heard, and maybe people just didn't give you, Tony, what you needed in terms of understanding and validation, oh, this must feel really bad. And then you kind of was kind of toughened it up. And I can't, you know, like you said, inside you were collapsed, which literally is a word we use in trauma therapy is there's this collapse. And so like sometimes when people um, go through some kind of trauma, they, they can either do fight flight or freeze or well, freeze would be the next level, which would be sort of a collapse or numbing out. And then, of course, you know, the bottom is from our ventral vagal, which is a more calming place. But yeah, that's a, a perfect explanation of trauma, which is to collapse, to numb out, to it's sort of like going to, going down the rabbit hole of, of just um, hopelessness, really. Absolutely. So, um, 
Yeah, so difficult, so difficult adult relationships develop if you felt invisible and you were dismissed or shamed or didn't re- receive the validation or love or acknowledgement you needed. And I it like, was- Sherry, I like what you said about acknowledgement. I mean, it was very unfortunate for you to be in that incubator for that period. I was just having this discussion with my girlfriend the other day, is that I was telling her that acknowledgement is the most basic human need there is. And it's go back to babies when babies don't even get their prop their proper acknowledgement and they compare they've done studies with ones who have and ones who didn't the 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 difference the disparities in in in, in adulthood is huge wow. well that's like if you come from a healthy home you're going to get all that nurturing and that validation and acknowledgement you're going to and that that allows you to trust your outer world hmm. so your internal world then matches your outer world so there's this congruency right. and um your feelings and thoughts and wants are needed and, and are validated from the outside. And you learn to trust your reality on the inside, which that's why, you know, we're going to get into the topic of toxic relationships. If you don't know your reality from the inside out or the outside in, you're going to be, um, you know, you could be, you're just going to be predators are going to, they're going to be all over you because. Right. You, you, you need to have an inner awareness so that I think, you know, inner awareness is as vital as the outer awareness. Uh, and so you need that. So that's a perfect segue. Let's get into the next one is why do successful women attract toxic relationships? So one of the most common misconceptions is that narcissists only look for emotionally dependent partners who lack confidence and self-esteem. And it's just not true. In fact, strong, confident and self-assured women attract narcissists too. And while this may seem strange, because, you know, especially for women who, you know, I'm so successful at this and that, and yet I keep picking these awful people and my picker's broken. It's important to realize that the narcissistic traits of grandiosity and confidence are just masks for deeper insecurities. So these narcissists, toxic individuals really aren't that secure. They're really on the other side of the coin of someone that might be insecure, but it's, again, you don't have to be insecure to find yourself in a toxic relationship. So what appears to be an overabundance of self-assurance is actually a protective wall designed to block the narcissist from acknowledging his own insecurity and lack of self-confidence. And at the same time, the narcissist uses that sense of self-confidence, which is just a false facade, to portray this really, you know, great personality that's attractive to a confident and successful woman. So you're kind of being attracted to this false sense of reality. Um, So if you're a strong, confident and self-assured woman, you might wonder, well, why do I attract narcissists? So you might be looking for a man who doesn't need your ongoing support, who has the strength and ability to manage any situation. But confident women can be swept off their feet by an abundance of attention. Um, Most narcissists can assume any interest or focus in the initial stage of dating. They become the partner the woman has always looked for. I mean, they are master manipulators, so they know what to say. And they do it with such authenticity to carry on the the charade for such a short period of time until the relationship is solidified. In other words, they've sucked the woman in, and then they can start revealing their true personality. Narcissists often feel very safe with strong partners as they've always struggled with a a consistent parent figure. Um, And when you take, well, I mean, an inconsistent parent figure. And when you take charge and you manage life effectively and create your own success, this becomes a draw for the narcissist. So coupling this with the ability to show empathy and kindness, it creates a natural magnet for the narcissist who wants those characteristics in another person. So you have like this person that wants needs to be needed and then the narcissist who needs all the attention so so the narcissist sees the strong woman as a conquest it provides them you know with a sense of being equal or worthy or having a relationship with someone successful and independent and then as a strong confident woman knowing the red flags to look for he knows how to hide those red flags and anyone if he's hiding the red flags how do you know you're in a toxic relationship it's that's the problem. You have to be really discerning. And, you know, I will say this, even though they hide it, there is, you know, it's um, you start, they just, it starts to bleed out the inauthenticity, you know, the true self just starts to bleed out. And then you look for all those other signs that like, are they love bombing you? Are they telling you, I'm going to marry you on your first date? I had a guy do that last year. It was hysterical. Um, are they telling you you're the greatest thing since chopped liver? I mean, they're doing all this so they can kind of get you in and suck you in and make you dependent on them. And then once you're dependent on them, maybe you won't leave them. So you both are kind of holding each other hostage in a way. Mm. And um, 
Yeah, it's really it's fascinating. And they're going to they're going to do all kinds of other things. Gaslighting. They're going to do, um, you know, they, they could be physically abusive. They're going to be verbally abusive. I mean, they're going to be uh, there's a cognitive dissonance. So what they say and what they do don't really match up. But we can get into like some of the things that you want to look for if someone is toxic. We're going to get into that right after we come back from a commercial break, because I love this topic and we can go in a number of directions. But uh, let, let's uh We'll be, we'll be doing that in a moment. Let's just take a moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Sherry Gaber. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio, perhaps the most common method that coaches worldwide use to get undisputable results for their clients is NLP. Visit www.perficio.io. That's perficio.io, where you can make the changes you want and get the results you dream of. You are listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza. We're talking with Sherry Gaber about toxic relationships, narcissism, and love addiction. We were just talking about recognizing that you're in a toxic relationship. You know, I just, I did an interview a few months ago with Dr. Ronald Mann. He's also out there in California. He's a retired psycho, psychotherapist. And he paid me a great compliment because I have this, this premise that I have for, uh, for relationships I call HRC. I remember by remembering Hillary Rodham Clinton, and I'm not endorsing her at all, but HRC is the acronym. Honesty, respect, and caring. That, to me, that's the core of a really, if you, if you have that, you've got a great thing. And if you can, if both parties can subscribe to it, the relationship should flourish. And indeed, I had that with, with my previous girlfriend, then we broke up and she, she said she wanted to be friends, so did I. Uh, but she 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 threw HRC out the window, and it was very terrible for our relationship. But but I realized, you know, I had suppressed my love for her because tw- a long time ago I had my heart broken, so I, I didn't realize it that I put it back in that castle and doubled the guard. And I realized I loved her, uh, so I went after her and I and I said, you know, let's let, you know, I'll let's reconcile and I'll make the changes that I need to make, uh, and. Um, and we did. And HRC still continues to be, you know, we have a much better relationship, but HRC is still the, the major premise of it. And uh, because we were honest with each other, we respect each other, we care for each other. And it's really, and Ronald Mann said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that HRC. That's great. And I, because I don't I'm not tooting my own horn, but I'm just saying that honesty, respect, and caring is, is a wonderful, as an understatement, a wonderful thing to have in a relationship, even really quite necessary so so that so i don't think you can get that too much in a toxic relationship <laughs> so uh we talk, we're talking about recognizing the talking toxic relationship but i would i would i would purport that if you don't have that hrc then you could very well be in a toxic relationship but how, how do okay so i'll go on cherry okay well yeah i mean what you just mentioned would be a healthy relationship of course <laughs> And unhealthy relationships, they're characterized in a, by something completely different. There's there's a lot of ruminating and obsessing, a constant worry that, about the partner. You know, it's a you're worrying, worrying uh, do they still care about you? Do they want to be with you? I mean, this is on this is your part, you know, as the person that's with the toxic person. Um, you give up who you are to be with that person. Um, and a lot of this is sort of because of the manipulation that's going on, these things start to happen. And you, and you probably are starting out with a very shaky sense of self-esteem, although this could happen to anybody. You can also be someone who's very secure and end up with a toxic person, but often it's the person who's insecure that ends up with the toxic person. But I always like to throw out that caveat because it can happen to anybody. You can just be a very loving and compassionate person, and then you end up in this toxic relationship. But you're all you know you're always worrying about every little detail go ahead no no you you you, i like that though go on if if you're in a toxic relationship you notice you notice subtle changes in the text and they can't you you can't stop ruminating about them you want to spend every minute with them you're obsessing about them and then you know you almost turn yourself into a pretzel to be with them you twist your personality to be with them you 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 know you walk all over your value system to be with them you're always walking on eggshells you have a lot of fights you feel drained you know you talk about that feeling of collapse you just feel so hopeless and then you know you're saying to yourself should i ask this or ask for that what will happen if i tell them this happened or that happened or you know you're afraid to tell them about your work or who you're spending time with um there's just a lot of fights a lot of walking on eggshells and then you feel guilty for everything because 
toxic people always have to be right. They're never wrong. And so you become the guilty one and they never apologize. So one of the sure signs of a toxic person is not taking responsibility for your actions. And I had that with a, a friend recently, just a friend. Um, we had a, a, a disagreement and I got this long email and the long email basically is talking about all the things that I did, but you couldn't own anything she did. So, you know, two people that are having a disagreement, we got to own our part. You know, we most definitely we both have to have a part usually. So, but with a toxic person, the distribution of responsibility and guilt is always on the other person. Totally, um, totally. And, nonetheless, yes. people, women, this is predominantly about women, this is our, our theme here, uh, can become addicted to these toxic relationships. So how, how, how do we become addicted to toxic relationships? Yeah, I mean, I have so many other things I wanted to say about what constitutes okay. toxic relationships. So let me just go through that because please, please. I think it's important for people to see, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be constant fighting. I'll just go through it kind of fast. And, and, and one of the reasons, Sherry, is that I'm, I'm slight, I'm sort of rushing through this is because I want to get into that love addiction stuff too, which is, which is, it's, it's, you know, it's dovetailed, but I wanted to get into some more of your great content. So uh, please forgive okay. me for that. And, and I appreciate that because honestly, love addicts are very prone to picking toxic people. So that's a good, that's a good way to segue. Um, but anyway, toxic relationships, there's a lot of manipulation, a lot of control, a, a lot of yelling and insulting, which is the opposite of respect. There can be physical in, uh, injuries. There's disrespect, disrespect, again, the opposite of what you were talking about. And then we, and then dishonesty, betrayal, the opposite of what you were talking about in terms healthy relationship. And then most importantly, a lack of self-care. You just stop taking care of yourself. You start neglecting your appearance. You neglect your physical health. You just let your self-care habits, you know, go down the drain. And that's, that's really, you know, what, what are the, these are all the telltale signs of a toxic relationship. And, and how do we become addicted to toxic relationships? There's a little bit about what I said earlier. You know, if you have a history of parents that weren't there for you, your, your, your whole destiny is going to be dictated by this subconscious desire to somehow fix and, and resolve what was not fixed. Right. So if a parent wasn't there for you, there for you, then you're suddenly going to pick people that are maybe unavailable emotionally, physically. Um, if you had an overbearing parent, then you might end up repeating the same thing of being with needy people. Um, you know, it all stems from how we were raised and that whole relational experience we had with our parents. So the point is, it's not our addiction to the external toxic relationship, but it's our addiction to something that runs so much deeper and it's far more dangerous. And that is our addiction to a toxic relationship with ourselves. It starts with ourselves. Uh, that's why I always say, if you have any kind of trauma, you've got to get a good trauma therapist because you've Absolutely. got to that hidden trauma and the you know, really sherry you know what I, i've often said is that if you're not working on your issues going into a relationship you'll be going out of the relationship with those issues <laughs> I, yeah i say the same thing tony i always say the first thing that's going to annoy you about something someone is probably going to be the thing that breaks breaks you up i mean truly i i, I say that all the time <laughs> You just got to be really familiar with your childhood. You got to work on your family of origin issues. Um, and and that's that's really at the heart of why, you know, we get addicted to toxic people because it's like all we know. It's There's a word in the psychological world called repetition compulsion. We just keep picking what we know until we can fix it. And um, you can spend a lifetime just, you know, the same different face, different name, but same person over and over and over again. You know, I'm, I'm a personal development coach and you know, most people are not into personal development, but, you know, obviously most people have relationships, romantic sexual relationships. And along these lines, if, you know, if you're not personally developing, which is reconciling with yourself, working through your issues, then you're going to be inviting and, and maybe even addicted to these toxic relationships where you think you're getting some soothing and it's at best, it's on the surface and you'll, you'll get the wreck coming out soon enough. That's fine. You say that because they're so manipulative. They make you think that you're getting what you thought you needed, but it's all false. I mean, they make you think that, oh, you're the one and you're so beautiful and I want you. And I want, like I said, that creep that wanted to marry me on the first date. I mean, and he really was a narcissist. I was to, I discovered um, that kind of stuff for the, someone who, who, you know, even I, who has my stuff together, can be, oh, that felt good. Ooh, this feels good. I want to hear more of this. 
but it, it's really, it has to be slow and steady. A really healthy relationship is very slow and steady. It doesn't start out with like these fireworks unless you're 14 years old, you know? I mean, it just, it really needs to be um, it's just healthy, even. Absolutely. Balanced. And I tell people all the time, trust is earned. Don't be giving away trust like you, like it's money. Trust is, you know, like you, like you're rich in this money. Trust is earned. And you know, you, you know, that, that's not to say that you got to be skeptical. Uh, well, healthy skepticism is good, uh, but trust is earned. Let people earn it because if you're giving it away, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure and heartache and disappointment in the least. But if you're a love addict, you know, you it's so unbearable to think of yourselves as being alone that, you know, you're just going to believe whatever you want to hear because if you, you know, believe, looking at the truth is much worse than being alone. It's so, it's so debilitating to think, oh my God, I'm going to be by myself that you end up um, doing a lot of settling, which is what I did in my life until I really started doing the trauma work. You know, I had the inverse. Uh, I was too good with being alone. I mentioned that previous relationships. So I really loved being alone and it was, wasn't good for my relationship. I valued it too much. I didn't, I was too selfish, quite frankly. So I, you know, at, and a love avoidant. And, and if you're a love addict, you can be both a love avoidant and a love addict. You just keep, you, you kind of can vacillate. Like one minute you can be really addictive and obsessive. The next minute you're avoiding. So it's like that come here, go away kind of syndrome. Well, for me, I wasn't like that. Uh, I just, you know, I realized that being in a relationship, you, you know, you, you got to be with the other. Uh, but I was just, I was too selfish, you know, you know, not that I had to be totally selfish or altruistic, but I had to become more selfless in order to have a healthy relationship and, and, you know, put more attention on her and, you know, really meet her wants and needs. And when I decided to change, I actually wanted to do that. It wasn't a task. It wasn't arduous. I wanted to meet her needs and wants. And it was what a, what a, difference it was it was like a night and day situation for me well, you know but the yeah and I get that and I think I was married to an alcoholic and I think when he was when he was in his disease he was the most selfish person ever but when he wasn't and he was sober he was fantastic so even in all fairness to the disease of addiction there you know you learned how to be selfish because it's a selfish disease you know that's it's not even that you learned it just is um and then lucky for you you got sober and I'm sure in that process it, it was beyond the, you know, it was beyond the drugs and alcohol. It was changing everything, everything you knew about yourself. I've often said that alcoholism, alcoholism and addiction is the disease of selfishness. And it can be even when you get sober too, in a way, but it kind of has to be because your sobriety has to, to come first. Yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, we're always navigating a, a balancing act, right? Yeah. Between you know, taking care of our, our needs, take being, you know, honoring our self-care, but also being there for somebody else. But I think it's a bit cynical to call it, yeah, uh, self. I mean, you know, your recovery is selfish, but yes, sometimes, sometimes a person has to be selfish and it's not, you know, and it's not necessarily selfishness, you know, just like when, if you're on an airplane, they say, if you're, a, if you're an adult, you got to put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on with that child. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, yeah, these are, this is all recovery talk for those people that don't understand recovery. It, it really is important. You've got to make your recovery number one. Great. Okay, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Sherry Gaber. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Benjamin Franklin taught that leisure is the time for doing something useful and that this leisure, the diligent person will obtain, but the lazy one never. Visit www.perficio.io, that's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can transform your idea of leisure to make it actually add to your life. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza. We're speaking with Sherry Gaber, wonderful topic about relationships and, and well, I don't, I don't know, pathological perhaps, uh, but certainly, you know, the toxicity and addiction of it. Let me, let me ask my final question along this theme is how do we overcome our addiction to toxic relationships? Well, first, just being on this call today and listening to our conversation is a great start. I really give your listeners a lot of credit for taking their time to listen to you, Tony, listen to your podcast, listen to our conversation. But it starts really looking at our relationship, every relationship that enters our life as sort of a, a time to heal and grow and become more self-aware. It's not about shaming and blaming. It's not feeling bad that you've had all these maybe 
relationships that haven't worked out. It's not about that. It's, it's focusing from the outside in. So every, you know, every relationship is a manifestation of the relationship that we have with ourselves. So like I said earlier, if you're attracting toxic relationships or you continue nurturing your addiction or obsession on them, it's because first and foremost, you probably have a toxic relationship with yourselves. So we have to start really taking care of ourselves, loving that little inner child, that little wound, um, that shadow part of ourselves. Um, we have to be aware that that healing an addictive toxic relationship with ourselves doesn't happen, happen overnight. It's a process and it's about accepting the process and knowing that it's a constant work in progress. It's uncovering all those toxic childhood belief systems and experiences and connect and conditioning or, or abuse that you might have gone through. Um, and it's just having a more spiritual relationship with yourself, a more emotional relationship with yourself. Um, there's just, it, it's sort of reconditioning yourself and just instead of being addicted to toxicity, being addicted to our health, healthy self and all of us. And I'm sure you know this as a coach, Tony, we are all val valuable and colorful and vibrant and strong and resourceful. We have the resources we need. I, you know, I, I know you, you, one of the things that you uh, specialize in is, is law of attraction. I, I, I involve myself with all the, the laws of success and the law of attraction is a core, uh, is a, a major law. The, a corollary law is the law of correspondence is that what's, what's going on, going, what's going on within you, uh, your outer world will, will be, it'll be reflected in the outer world. So you must, so if, you're, if your outer world is a bunch of chaos, that's because your inner world is a bunch of chaos. You've got to get your, sit, your shit straight on the inside. Yeah, there has to be this congruence, right? Like if what you're doing, what you're saying to yourself, you know, the, the, the self, um, you know, deprecating comments that you say to yourself, if you're doing that kind of stuff, you can't possibly bring in love because you're just going to attract exactly that. So you've got to be careful what you say. I mean, it isn't quite that simple. You also have to take action steps. You know, you have to action your way into uh, positive thinking, really. Absolutely. You know, in my early recovery, I, you know, I saw that I had to change an awful lot. Uh, and one of the things I always used to call myself was a loser. I would talk to myself, call myself a loser. I would also call myself wish man because I always found myself wishing for things, which, which I realized subsequently was an anti-experience. So I decided not to ever call myself loser again and, and totally dropped the wish man because I would say if I really wanted something but wasn't willing to do any work, I would just say, wouldn't it be great if... But if I wanted something and I, and I thought it was important, then I would, would be no wishing. I would make a decision, make a goal, go about it. But the way we talk to ourselves is, is incredibly important because those are, we respond to that. We respond exactly to that. So yeah, I totally hear that. Okay, let's get into love addiction. All right, because this is, I love this subject. What is love addiction and what are the signs and symptoms? A lot of people don't even know what it is. And I guess in a nutshell, you I guess you would call it obsessive love, really. That would be for the, the layman who would, who doesn't study the addiction field. It would be obsessive love. But it's it's a process addiction. So it's not like a substance addiction. It's a, it's a lifestyle addiction, or you can call it a soft addiction. So when you think of like love or codependency or binging or exercise or internet or gaming or shopping or spending or debting, these are all mood altering activities, but they create the same identical euphoric state as a mood altering substance. Um, so it's sort of like when we talk about addiction, we say that the addict alcoholic is always chasing that first high or a love addict is always chasing that first love. I mean, I know this for sure. I mean, I had a boyfriend in high school and I was always chasing that feeling. I always wanted something to feel the way that felt. Um, and then what well, happened? I, I, have a, I have a funny little anecdote for that, Sherry. You know, I used to be, I used to be a crackhead. I say that with, because I don't, I don't try to run from my past. I, you know, I, I, I love crack. I love cocaine and alcohol. Those are my drugs. I usually don't talk about the specific drugs, but those what they were. And crack was the, was the greatest one because it was easy to get and it tasted great. Blah blah blah. But I used to go to this little this uh, crack apartment in the East Village, and, uh, and two two guys had it. And one of them, I used to call him the the, uh, the scientist because he had this big long gray beard. He was a smart guy. And I'll never forget this time we, we were talking and he and we were talking about two crackheads are smoking crack and he's we're talking about crack. And he said, Tony, the only thing I had to know about crack. I learned about in the first hit that was a million hits ago. 
And I never forgot that. That was a million hits ago. Yeah, that's that's profound. Yeah, yeah my ex-husband, same thing, alcoholic and, and and crack cocaine. And then and and that's why I look at someone like you and I go, wow, you know, you are a miracle because he still is out there at 65, you know, drinking, possibly using, and probably I hate to say it, may die from this disease. So, you know, every day is a miracle when you're sober. It's I it's all I can say. Yeah. So we try to reactivate. That thing that we once felt that felt so good, what made us feel connected, that felt so good in, you know, in place of all the bad feelings. Uh, and, and that's what we pursue. And that's, you know, and when you think of addiction, you think of withdrawal, like, oh my God, I need my fix. I need my fix. So when a breakup occurs for a love addict, the addictive is, is longing for that same attachment, that <laughs> same feeling of that lost relationship, just like the drug user craves the drugs. It's the same thing. And you know, you start over adapting to what others want because you want it so badly. You'll settle for less. You'll, you know, you won't have any boundaries. You have this huge fear of letting go. You're totally afraid of abandonment, rejection. You're afraid of the unknown. Um, and then you start trying to change others to meet the needs of your, you know, delusion of who you want them to be rather than really accepting who they are. Um, and you need others to feel whole. You know, you feel really empty inside, just like addict and alcoholics will have that talk about that chronic emptiness. Um, and then getting your your hit, you know, your self-esteem by the, the affirmations, the validation, the acknowledgement. I mean, there's everybody needs acknowledgement, validation, but this is sort of pathological where everything about you is based on everything they say and do rather than coming from, you know, yourself. Right. Um, you have all those withdrawal symptoms. And then, you know, you turn yourself into a pretzel, like I said earlier, just because you don't want to lose anybody. You don't want to lose their approval and you don't want them to stop wanting you or needing that you or loving you. Actually, so what is love bombing? So love bombing is sort of that thing that people do when they're trying to kind of suck you in in the beginning of a relationship. So they're telling you all, like I talked about that guy that said he wanted to marry me on the first date. It's it's all that that stuff where they they'll bombard you with you know complimenting you like I love everything about you. I've never met anyone as perfect as you. You're the only person I want to spend time with. It it's over the top gestures. Um, it could be inappropriate gifts. Um, it, it could be expensive gifts. It can be bombarding you with gifts. Um, you know it's. It's all those things that, I mean, like they text you constantly, they message you. It's so over, it's over the top. You know, when you're dating somebody, it, it shouldn't be over the top. You know, it shouldn't feel so like, oh, you know, some it literally love bombing you. And they, and then they want your undivided attention. And true love does not want all your time and energy focused on them alone. It just doesn't. They, res, you know, they respect you for, you know, the other commitments you have and your, your boundaries and your ideas. Um, they try to convince you that you're soulmates, you know, um, we were born to be together. It's faith that we met. You understand me more than anyone else. You're my soulmate. It's just, like I said, this over the top stuff. And most of all, there's no respect for boundaries, just none. Love bombers will get upset with any kind of boundary that you set. And that is a sure sign you are probably with a toxic person or a narcissist. Right. And of course, the reverse is that a healthy relationship needs healthy boundaries, and then and the opposite is true for a toxic one. Exactly. Exactly. What is the difference between being in love and that unhealthy obsession? I mean, I think it just goes back. No, you, you discuss this in your book, Love Smack, correct? Right. I mean, it just goes back to like that healthy, loving, nurturing, um, honest, respect, slow and steady, discerning. All of that is, is healthy love. The unhealthy love is is this obsessive love without boundaries, with all of you know, with over the top gestures, um, you know, all the things that I'm pretty much been talking about, really. You know, uh, I used to obsess incredibly <laughs> to the point where I thought smoke was coming out of my ears, and uh, I remember I had this rom this one romance, and I always I would have in my obsession I would always fantasize about how I wanted things to to have been or what I would have what I would have done and I realized that that was the very fuel of my obsession so what I did was instead I I, I stopped all fantasizing and I only would would remember only what exactly happened and very soon thereafter the obsession ended so that was a great self-discovery for me you're obsessed with this idea of who you want someone to be you're not even really accepting them for who they are you're 
you're kind of looking looking at them as your fantasy of who you want them to be. I mean, the, the key to distinguishing like love addiction and the normal ups and downs is the frequency or severity of those ups and downs. So let's say you've had, you know, five happy relationships, one unhappy one, you're probably not a love addict. But if you're unhappy in every relationship, you're trying to change them, control, you're manipulative too, because you want them to be who you want them to be. And you feel just absolutely horrible on your own. You're probably a love addict. Great. Uh, with that, we're going to take our final commercial break. And we're going to get into, we're going to continue talking about obsession uh, after we come back with Sherry Gaber. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What if you could get the results of being coached without a human coach? What if a computer could coach you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O where you can get coached without scrutiny, judgment, or pressure. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza, and Sherry Gaber. We're having an incredible conversation about relationships and tox toxic ones, love addiction, and now we're talking about obsession. Where does this obsession stem from that we're talking about in relationships? So it's, it really goes back to our childhood. You know, it goes back to not getting our needs met. And that's where it begins. So we're, we're kind of, we're, we're attempting to recover the losses of our early childhood. So if you were a child and you received plenty of love, you'll feel secure. That person is going to grow up with a good sense of self. Um, they're going to be able to set boundaries. But if you don't have that, you're going to develop poor self-esteem, insecurity, um, some relationship addicts may have had caregivers who were unavailable physically or emotionally. Like I talked about earlier, they were neglected. Um, we know that the greater the intensity of a person's un unmet needs, the stronger the addiction to a relationship. So like, in other words, the, the, the worst, the childhoods that were the worst are the ones that are going to have the, the strongest um, addiction to their relationship. Right. right. They want to relive their childhood and this time they want to make it, they want to make it come out right and get the nurturing they needed. So being in a relationship sort of relieves that negative feeling they had as children. It's like, you're like really just a little boy walking around or a little girl walking around trying to meet those unmet needs with a person who that's not their job. You know, an adult relationship is not about meeting unmet needs from your childhood. Um, you know, so it's usually very dysfunctional and it's based more on discomfort and obsess obsession than it is on love. And so the, the bottom line is any relationship for a love addict will feel better than being alone. What are some of the signs you're too obsessed? Uh, some of the things I think would be like we talked about earlier, um, thinking about them all the time, ruminating about them all the time, um, being, you know, insecure if they don't text you right away. They're not, you know, you're worried when they're not calling you, you worry about everything that you're saying to them. You're worried, you know, you're always you're constantly second guessing yourself. You know, that that's really it. I mean, you fall in love instantly. You think about them constantly. You fantasize about a future together. You overwhelm your partners with attention. You feel it's your responsibility to fix them, make them perfect. Um, you're not really an authentic self with your partner. You're always trying to change yourself to fit this relationship. You're really hypervigilant and overreact to the slightest sign that they're not interested in you. And you feel empty and lost and unworthy if you're not in that relationship. What is trauma bonding? Okay, so trauma bonding, there's different kinds of trauma bonding, but there's a kind where you can have similar, you meet someone, you've had similar childhoods, so you kind of find each other and you bond together. Like me and my ex-husband, we both had abandonment issues, so we sort of found each other. Yes. There can also be trauma bonding where let's say your parents were neglectful. So siblings become very bonded to each other. But the worst kind of trauma bonding is when you're in a relationship that is it's either overly aggressive or overly passive. It's either overly controlling or overly accommodating. It's either you're giving or you're not giving. So you find these two people, the codependent and the, um, the not usually a narcissist and they, um, there's this like cognitive dissonance where the person is one minute there, not there. And there's this constant confusion. You're like having these ups and downs, you know, they're validating you. They're not validating you. They're, they're treating you. They're love bombing you the next minute. They're gaslighting you. And you're just always on this roller coaster ride. And so that creates like a bond and you kind of get addicted to that adrenaline that you get from this toxic relationship. I know it sounds crazy, but you actually get addicted to the peptides of the drama of the relationship. 
And that forms a trauma bond. You know, I recall a, a romance I had long ago is that, you know, I, you know, undoubtedly, I've, I've been called many things in my life. Undoubtedly, crazy is the most common term applied to me. And this woman, uh, you know, she she had so a, a past that was uh, uneasy. So, and I related to that. So, like, oh, we both have this uneasy past. But unfortunately for me, she was even crazier than I was. <laughs> and so I learned about not to look for that in a relationship. Don't look for a trauma that I, I, can, I can have better. Not that I, a person with trauma is to be disregarded, but to look for it was a mistake. Yeah, well, you're, you think somehow, oh, we found each other. We both yes. had these rotten childhoods. So now, you know, we're going we're gonna to fix each other. We're going to make each other whole. Yes. We're we do what we didn't get. I mean, it's 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 definitely a sign of a trauma bond. And then those are just the hardest bonds to get over. I mean, getting over my ex-husband, as an example, the alcoholic was one of the hardest things I've ever, I mean, it took me forever to get over. In fact, I took him back even after we were divorced. That's how hard it was. And I, and, you know, I tell these stories not to, um, shame myself or blame myself. I tell people this because it can happen to any one of us. We can have all the information in the world, but if we don't do the work, if we don't do the trauma work, we're going to keep repeating these patterns. And so for me, I had to finally be single, get a great trauma therapist and really dig, dig deeper as to why I kept doing this. And it was best thing I ever did. Totally. What are some of the boundaries you can create with the narcissist or, or in these type of situations? Well, like, you know, what I had said earlier, you know, you're with a narcissist if you go to set a boundary and they don't honor it. So just remember that. Um, but you, know, you don't have to justify, you don't have to explain, you don't have to defend yourself. Um, narcissists can use, you know, very intimidating and they use, they, they, um, they make you second guess yourselves. So doing so gives them a feeling of power and control. So part of the boundary setting is, is the right to decide what you share with others. The honest truth, less is more. You know, I remember the one I dated that said he was going to marry me on the first date. It was just so funny because he wanted to know every little thing about me. And of course, he would use that later against me. So be very careful who you share stuff with and how much you share in the beginning. The less you share, particularly personal information, the less a narcissist has to use against you. And you don't need to justify your thoughts or feelings or actions to an, to an intrusive narcissist. You know, if a narcissist criticizes you, you can say something like, I hear your opinion, I will consider that. If they question your action, I'm confident in my choices. If they demand an explanation, you say to them, that's personal. We'll just have to agree to disagree. Um, you know, leave when it doesn't feel healthy. If you don't need, you don't need anyone's permission to act, to, to walk away from a toxic situation, a destructive interaction, um, you get to determine what is healthy for you. Um, you could even be on a date. You can glance at your watch and say, oh, uh, sorry, I just got a call or I have to leave or I'm going to be late for this appointment. I mean, do whatever it takes to walk away. A, good line, a good line to use is, I think I left the oven on. Got to go. Okay. <laughs> the person says, oh, I left my wallet at home. But anyway. <laughs> okay. So these are great responses. My final question, Sherry, is what are some of the first steps to breaking free? Um, so we want to start looking at every relationship as just an opportunity to grow and heal. I mean, honestly, it's about starting from the um, outside in or the inside out. You wanna have this congruence I talked about where what you think about yourself and how you're acting in the world match. Um, and, you know, again, you wanna really heal that toxic relationship you might have with yourself. I think the most important thing is if you have any kind of trauma and I, I can't emphasize this enough, I know I keep saying it over and over again, you gotta find a really great trauma therapist. And then you wanna find a support group because there's nothing more healing than being with other people that have been through what you've been through. I mean, when I became a single mom, I joined a support group. When I was married to an alcoholic, I joined a support group. So if you're someone who's struggling with love addiction or a toxic relationship, they might want to join and I I think you're going to leave the link in your um, show notes but I have a I have a, a group a support group and for your listeners Tony it's a dollar to join and it's just a wonderful tribe of people that will help love you till you love yourself it has all kinds of lessons and audios and I do live group coaching once a month um, and they can find it at um, really easy wakeuprecovery.com forward slash ig1 that's wake up recovery 
com forward slash IG1. And I call it wake up recovery because when you finally get at, get away from a toxic person or you're finally waking up from an obsession or a love addiction, you're actually, you're waking up. And so that's where I got the name. That's great. So that's your support group. That's that's and then I'm also offering your um, your listeners a free ebook called Narcissistic Partners and Obsessive Love. So it'll be a quiz to see if they have these traits and that they can get at sherrygaba.com forward slash NP quiz. So that's S-H-E-R-R-Y-G-A-B-A.com forward slash NP quiz. That's a great gift. I thank you for offering that to my audience. And, you know, about support groups, you know, when I created a virtual coaching program, it's going to transform self-help, but self-help is right in, the, right in the very word self, but you know, I, but there's nothing like having a community of like-minded people. So I put that in part in the virtual coaching program, a group interaction space, because you get so much from the, the, the communal di- dynamic, the group That's dynamic, you know, the best. I mean, and the people that join my, my program, I mean, they're ready to do the work. Um, they know they're going to be working with a licensed therapist. They, I mean, again, you don't have to be a therapist to join a group. You can definitely w- work with a coach, of course. But I think when we're dealing with some of these real deeper, deeper traumatic things, I think it's probably best to have someone who's a therapist. To- absolutely. Totally. Great stuff. And you're also on social media. Your Instagram is at codependency curious. curious. Yes. Yes. Okay. Code- Exactly. And on Facebook, Sherry Gaba. Again, that's G-A-B-A. Sherry, you have been a wonderful guest. This topic, this this interview has been very entertaining. I've enjoyed it very much and very valuable to anyone that, to who, who might, uh, you know, relate to it, which is probably a lot of people. Tony, thank you for what you're doing in the world as well. We, we need coaches. We need people to move forward in their lives. And that's what a coach helps you do. That is for sure. It helps you just you know, do those action steps you were talking about. Absolutely. Thank you very much for being here. And remember, everyone, we're all responsible for ourselves and we can all use a little help. And with that, we'll see you at the next episode of the Self-Help Coaching Podcast. Sherry, thanks very much for coming. Thank you again. And sharing with everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.